Hello. My name is Josh. I am a member of the St. John Vineyard teaching team, and um, I'm going to be speaking today. So welcome, everybody. Uh, we're currently going through a series called The Story of God. It's from starting really from the beginning in the Old Testament and working our way through how God has interacted with his people um, over many, many years. So, uh, and in this series, uh, at least for this kind of season, we're actually going to not be projecting the scripture up on the screen, but we're actually going to encourage you to use physical Bibles. Um, I know, going old school. So, and I mean, I think there's something to kind of also just knowing kind of where to find things and how to find things. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But also there's something I think about having a physical kind of object too that you can kind of hold and kind of interact with. And if it's your own Bible, you know, write in it and kind of underline things. So we do have Bibles as well. So um, there, a, there's a box kind of back there. I think I was going to get Nathaniel to, oh, Nathaniel's delegating his children to distribute. Oh, yes. There's a whole army of children ready to distribute Bibles. So if you'd like a Bible, just raise your hand, and these lovely little children will come and deliver them. They're like elves, like church elves. Great. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? A Bible? All right. Oh, what's that? Oh, well, I, I don't have the page number, actually. So, yeah, well, well I mean, it, it won't be too hard to find. We'll be able to find it pretty quickly, I think. So, yeah. Um, and so some of you might have different versions. So the versions we have are called NLT, the New Living Translation, which is a great translation. There's other translations that phrase things a little bit differently sometimes, but fundamentally, it's still the same scriptures underneath. So, um, so when finding things in the Bible, um, it is divided up into a bunch of books, there are 66 books. They're like chapters, effectively, large chapters. And you can tell what book you're in. And they're not alphabetical, so that's kind of the tricky part. Uh, but you can tell what book you're in by uh, looking at the top. It will say the name of the book that you're in. And then the big numbers that you see will say what chapter within that book um, you want to find. And then within that, it's broken into verses. So when people say something like 2 Timothy 3, Double point four, um, they mean Second Timothy and the third chapter and the fourth verse. So, um, and thank you, Paul, for the beautiful graphic. That it's good having graphic designers kind of in house. So, um, so we're continuing this week in the book of Genesis, which is part of what's come, sometimes called the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible, um, and it's the first one in those first five books of the Bible. And the, it's generally thought that, you know, Moses probably was the, he's kind of ascribed as the author, and that it's kind of given to the Israelites, actually, all those five books, as they're about to enter the promised land. So those first five books are kind of a history lesson in this is your story and how it lines up with God's story, or rather, this is how you're part of God's story. So when you kind of think of it, it's kind of useful sometimes to think that they're just kind of, they're about to go on this big new adventure in their life as a nation. And Moses is saying to them, this is who you are and who you were created to be and how God has loved you through the years. And so we're going to start in Genesis. And Genesis is just the Greek word that means beginning. So yeah, and it's at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, and actually, the first word in the Bible is beginning. 
in the beginning. And so in the Greek version, it says Genesis. And then it has the Hebrew word in the Hebrew version, which is Bereshit, if you're interested. Um, so that's where we're going to start. Now, speaking of beginnings, um, you may have heard that there are several families in the church expecting new babies. And so my wife and I are kind of among, there's like four couples, so it's like a bumper crop of babies this spring. Thank you. Um, and, you know, so there's, there's a new beginning kind of happening there. And I'm told that I should perhaps expect a little more noise in my life. I'm told that perhaps, you know, babies, to communicate that they want something or that they need something, they make noise and they cry and they use their language and then their language develops out of that and then they start to become toddlers and they learn some words they can express themselves a little more precisely and you have to be careful what you say around toddlers because they'll remember the bad words, not the good words. And they'll repeat them and embarrass you in a public place usually because a toddler always wants a bit of a show. And then they become more articulate and they learn more words and they learn to express what they need but also then what they want. And then they even shout to be heard. And then... They grow into older kids and they get more expressive and they understand ideas more and they use language to express those ideas. And they use language to interact with the world and form friendships and perhaps form enemies and to talk back to their parents and to be a blessing to those around them, all kinds of different things. So language is kind of part of how we just interact with the world. And the story we're going to look at today, I think really centers on language. Language is a big part of it. So we're going to read the passage. So the passage is Genesis chapter 11. So right at the beginning of the Bible, super easy, flip through kind of the preface and the introduction and all those bits, and you should get to Genesis. It'll say Genesis up in the top corner. And you're looking, we used to, um, with the youth, we would do what's called sword drills, because when we were kids, you would kind of put up your Bible, and then they would say like the verse, You'd be like, swords up, and then they'd say the verse, and then you had to find it as quickly as possible, and the first person to find the verse got to like, stand up and read it. So we've been doing that with the youth. So they've been learning kind of some of these things as well. What's that? It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good skill to have, right? Because then when somebody just throws out a reference, oh, Genesis 11.1, then you can kind of find it. So Genesis 11. And if I can find my notes, we'll be reading from... So this should be the similar version to what was handed out. So, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the peoples with different languages 
and they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. This is why the city was called Babel, or Babel, because this is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And in this way, he scattered them all over the world. So it's a pretty common passage. I think anybody who's kind of gone to Sunday school would have maybe had the felt board story of the, the Tower of Babel. We're debating, is it Babel or Babel? So, uh, you know, you can choose how you want to say it. It's a really common story, and it's, it seems pretty straightforward, I would say. Um, there's people, people speak the same language, they can communicate, obviously, clearly with each other, and um, they actually make kind of a pretty amazing discovery. They discover you can take brick, you can take mud, and you can not just set it out in the sun to harden, like when you were kids, and you make like mud balls, and you kind of set them out in the sun, and they'd slightly harden, but then when the rain comes, it would wash them away. So they make this amazing technological discovery that you burn it at a super high heat, and then it becomes waterproof, it becomes basically indestructible to the point that we find bricks now 5,000 years later that were made many, so many years ago. So it's a really amazing technical advantage. Um, and then they say, well, you know, we're going to build ourselves a city and build ourselves a tower. You know, we live in a city. Some cities seem reasonable. We towers around. I don't know what the tallest building is, uh, Market Square. Well, I guess the Irving Building would now be the highest point. They've built a great tower on top of the hill of the city. I won't draw any parallels. Um, but then, you know, God comes down. He sees, he comes down from heaven to look at the city and the tower. And he, he says, you know, they're united. So for some reason, he's sort of displeased. And they are, they're all speaking the language and that they could do anything if they set their minds to it. And so then God changes their language. He mixes up their languages and scatters them all over the world. So what's wrong with building a city and a tower? You know, I mean, later, I mean, Jerusalem is a city, and probably it has towers, right? Um, you know, cities aren't necessarily bad. Towers aren't necessarily bad, are they? So there might be a couple of possible reasons. Uh, one might be that they want to make themselves great. You know, they want to reach up into the heavens. There's something about it that... They want to be more famous or be greater or be increased or somehow be above. There's a sense of that in the story. Maybe that's it. There's also a sense in the ancient world, people built these types of towers called ziggurats. or kind of like these big pyramid type things. And at the top, there's a little temple where the god would live. And then there's stairs that came all the way down to the bottom. And there was a temple where the people worshipped. So it was actually a way to bring the gods down. So it's almost a manipulation of the gods. So maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying to construct a religion to kind of pull God down, say, well, now you know, we've reached up into the heavens and we've given you these things and now you have to kind of come down to our level. Maybe that's what's going on. Or, I mean, some other commentators have said, well, uh, maybe, you know, they say, well, we don't want to be scattered but actually, God said, go out and multiply. Go fill the earth. The first commandment he gives in Genesis is go, fill the earth, populate it. Go into all the places. So maybe actually they're being disobedient by kind of clustering together. That's kind of an idea of it as well. But kind of why the language? You know, God comes down and he confuses their language, it says. 
why does the language matter? It's kind of, in the text, it's, it repeats language. It keeps talking about language. So why language? You know, doesn't God want us to get along and to communicate and to do good things? You know, you have to meet and get together to, you know, plan to do a mission or kind of take care of people in the community or do something. You know, that seems like a good thing. Doesn't he want us to do that? I think what's actually going on is that they let their words serve themselves and not serve God. There's no mention of God in why you know, they're building a city or kind of building a tower. They actually build the tower for security. It says, you know, let's build this tower so that we don't get scattered. You know, we don't want to be isolated and all in these places all over the world. You know, so there's a, there's a real fear there that they're going to somehow be at risk by being scattered. They build the tower for fame. That seems pretty clear as well. They say, we, in the Hebrew, it would say, we want to make a name for ourselves, which could be that they want to be then known in the whole area. It could also have the sense of, you know, a memorial. They want to be remembered forever. You know, and you build a great monument to yourself, and then, you know, I mean, that we're mortal. In the face of mortality, it kind of gives you some hope in the face of mortality because you have a big tower and a big city on a hill. But they, so they let their words serve themselves and not serve God. And this idea of language being used for bad is something that we see kind of right through Genesis. So when you think of what's, something that's unique about the Genesis creation accounts is that God speaks. Words are used by God to bring everything into being. Words are good. And then he partners with man right away and kind of asks humankind to name the animals. So there's a speaking, and a part of our co-working with God involves our ability to speak and communicate. But then, as in the garden, the snake speaks too. And the snake convinces lies, and then lies come into the picture. And so language becomes progressively corrupted. And then Cain kind of deceives, and he kind of says, no, you know, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? Language goes from something creative, a creative force for good, to something self-serving. And then here in the account of the Tower of Babel, I think it's the same theme. It's that language has ceased to become something with which we worship God, and has become something with which we worship ourselves. And we still do this today. You know, you can think about English-French divides in New Brunswick. Uh, you can think of language and cultural divides all over the world. But we use language to say that person is other. I am, you know, me and my group, they're over there. We use it to deceive and to manipulate. You know, in Proverbs, it 1821, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. How do you use language? Do you use language to serve yourself? Do you use it to put yourself above others? 
Do you use it to protect yourself and avoid others? A way to hide. Language can be a great way to hide. I mean, that's... But, and yet, you know, God is not content to let us continue in our sin. He intervenes. He comes down. There's, in spite of, you know, the humans of Babel wanting to build upwards, you know, and it's a pretty puny attempt because they don't make it to heaven because God still has to come down. But God comes down into our midst. He doesn't let us continue in our sin. And also, God just doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just come and say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to scatter you and, you know, you're going the wrong direction with this, so I'm going to make sure you're not, you stop going in the wrong direction. He doesn't leave us there. In Zephaniah 3.9, which is... Uh, it's the back of the Old Testament. It's one of the little ones. It always slips by. Um, it's right after Haggai. And it's only like two pages. And so I always skip over it when I look for it. Zephaniah. So um, if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. It's probably about uh, two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Uh, yep, the Revelation's too far. It's right after Habakkuk. If you see Habakkuk, and it's right before Haggai. <laughs> yeah, and there's a bunch of like little short, they're called the Minor Prophets, right at the end of the Old Testament, and there's 12 of them. And they're all kind of little books. It's, uh, you, didn't, you didn't get it? I think uh, go back towards the beginning. It's uh... anyway. It's, it, if, if you can find it, that's that's okay. So, um, no pressure to to find it. Pardon? Yes, actually, good good point. So, if you can't find Zephaniah, and it's very understandable if you can't because it's very small. <laughs> at the very beginning, there's a table of contents, and it will have the page number. So, it's. And yeah, it really is going to be only three or four pages. So, in Zephaniah 3, chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, he says, and I'm, I'm reading from NRSV, he says, At that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So even though we've taken language and we have corrupted it and used it for our own purposes, God isn't intending to leave it there. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So God will return us to that unity that he created us to have. He intended that language be a good force, a force for creative acts and for unifying acts. So he'll come to the nation of Israel and he's going to guide them. He's going to send his son Jesus down to us. Um, we're going to celebrate communion in a little bit, which is um, how we remember that, one of the ways we remember that. And then to redeem kind of this broken language, this disunity that was caused by language, he's going to send his Holy Spirit. So 
what we had corrupted and what we had taken and used for sinful purposes that caused us to be dispersed into language, then he comes and brings his Holy Spirit, which is a language, a unifying language for us all. In Acts it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So when in the Tower of Babel account, the people are dispersed and the languages become a source of division, and we see that division still, God works it out for good by sending his Holy Spirit, which is a language that unifies us and that allows to bring about his, the purposes of his kingdom. So when God comes down to see the towers that we've built, he doesn't just you know, confront us in our sin, he restores what we have broken. And so we need the Holy Spirit to give us the right words. We need the Holy Spirit to know when we're building our towers for ourselves. And we need the Holy Spirit to worship God in spirit and in truth. In Revelation, it talks about what God's intent is for the language. That as one nation, all the peoples of the world will worship God in one language. It says in Chapter 7, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. So even though we've taken language and kind of used it for our own purposes and we use it to deceive and manipulate and it becomes a point of division, God is bringing us back to a place of where we will worship together as one language. So I think there are a couple of things that we can take from, to take away from it, I think. One, I think, is that we have to think about how we have used how we use language, how we use the words that we have. You know, in Proverbs it says it's, you know, life and death is in the tongue. And I think it's worth thinking about how we've used our language to um, manipulate or deceive or um, to get our own way. Um, and I think we need to repent of that. I think it's important to know, to think about how you have used language to... Um, yeah, to get your own way. And then I think we need to receive the Holy Spirit. I think we need the Holy Spirit to guide us in, in what to say and how to speak. And then I think we need to respond and respond in worship because that was the point of language in the first place. 
was first to commune with God. So from the breakdown that we see in, I mean, really throughout, throughout the Old Testament especially, you really see the dark side of human nature. You see lots of manipulation and things going on, like dark things going on towards this progression to, to salvation, to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus coming down. So let's, we're going to pause before we kind of take communion here in a sec. And um, we'll just take some time to, I think, um, ask God to just illuminate if there's places where we need to um, be careful of our words, where we've not been careful with our words. And, you know, that can be things you tell yourself and it can be things you tell others too. You can think about also, I think, the, the words that you use when you talk about who God has created you to be. And we'll just ask God for forgiveness. And then we'll just ask to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's amongst us. It's here. It's really, the Holy Spirit isn't, you know, doesn't just happen to choose to show up here and there. It's we just make ourselves accessible to the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. And I'll give some time to pause and then I'll, I'll close. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, that from the very moment of creation, you spoke to bring life and to express your love for us. We thank you that you have made us in your image and your likeness and given us the ability to also use words. We ask for forgiveness for the times that we have used words badly or to hurt others, to get our own above others, um, to get ahead of other people. We confess these now. But who loves us and we thank you that you are a God who takes our frailty and our incompleteness um, and redeems it and makes it, makes good come of it. We thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us the words to speak to those around us and to each other. We make ourselves accessible now to your Holy Spirit and we ask that you would guide us um, over this next week to use um, the blessing of language to be a blessing to others. Praise things in your name. Amen.